The Water Values Podcast, Session 149. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. have a great show for you today. We have Jonathan Grant, the Chief Strategy Officer with Imagine is here and he's going to talk to us about mainstreaming AI and machine learning into water utilities. He gives a fantastic interview, a lot of great insights into uh, where water utilities can get a lot of value out of adding AI and machine learning to their to their repertoire. We also have Eric Bindler here uh, with Bluefield Research to talk about the latest happenings and the takeaways from the SWAN conference that just concluded, uh, and we'll get to all that in just a moment. We have, as, as usual, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, you'll recall from last week, or, or last episode, that I said uh, I had been unaware of a lot of the international interviews that have been given on um, Apple Podcasts, because I, for whatever reason, my my Apple Podcast doesn't show me the international stuff. Uh, in, any, in any event, we've Found, I found those, and I said I'd read a couple of them each week. Uh, so here we go. The first is uh, from Water Eric from Sweden. Uh, this is back in February 19th of 2019. And Water Eric says, great podcast. To me, as a non-American paren, I come from Sweden, closed paren, working for a major water utility. This podcast gives me great knowledge of the U.S. water sector. I'm looking forward to every new episode. Well, Water Eric, thank you so much for enjoying the podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for the great rating and the five-star review. I also want to thank Huey Muck from Ireland who left this review uh, on Apple Podcasts Ireland. And he says, uh, excellent podcast, very interesting guests with up-to-date content and market information covering a wide range of water industry topics. Very timely to have a water podcast considering the importance of water for all of humanity and the sustainability of all economic and business activities. Nice, relaxed discussions with passionate, knowledgeable industry leaders. The audio quality is also good. Keep up the good work. Well, Huey Mech, thanks very much for the excellent uh, uh, rating and great review. The five stars was uh, very much appreciated. So thanks so much, Huey Mech, and uh, also Water Eric for those great uh, ratings and reviews. Uh, and as usual, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can go to thewatervalues.com. There's a little PayPal button. Just click on that. Any denomination is greatly appreciated to help keep the valves open and the information flowing. Uh, so with that, let's get to Eric Bindler and this week's Bluefield on Tap segment, and then we'll get on to the main feature interview with Jonathan Grant. Here we go. Well, Eric, welcome to the Water Values Podcast and the Bluefield on Tap segment. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. We have not had you on um, as a guest on the Bluefield on Tap segment. Could you give us a little background on yourself? Sure. So I've been with Bluefield uh, full-time now for, for just over a year. Before that, I worked as an intern and, and a project uh, consultant for a couple months. Um, so I've been with the team now for, for just about two years. At the beginning of 2019, uh, I just took over uh, as the research director for our digital water service. So I've been um, putting out research and supporting clients with everything from kind of core technologies like SCADA and GIS on up to more advanced technologies like um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and things like that. 
Awesome. Well, did you, you mentioned digital water. There's a lot going on in that. And I, I understand you just uh, attended the SWAN conference. Can you tell us what the SWAN conference is? Sure, absolutely. So uh, the SWAN conference is an annual conference hosted by the SWAN Forum or the Smart Water Networks Forum. Um, it's a it's a nonprofit industry group that's just basically dedicated to advancing the conversation around smart water or digital water. Um, they've got you know a couple dozen members ranging from uh, utilities to to um, digital water solutions providers to other just industry professionals. Um, they just finished their uh, hosting the ninth annual Swan Conference uh, in Miami, so that was just a couple couple weeks ago. Uh, it was their biggest conference yet, and it was actually their first time hosting the conference in the U.S., so that was uh, pretty exciting um, for the U.S. market. You know, it's kind of often considered a little bit further behind um, more advanced digital water markets like Australia or the U.K., so it was really exciting to see this this kind of major smart water industry event um, popping up in the U.S. for the first time. Well, awesome. So, so uh, what were your takeaways from the first SWAN conference on U.S. soil then? Sure. So I, I, I'd, I'd boil them down to three. I mean, I think um, the the first big takeaway was that there's really a lot of a lot of growing interest in the the U.S. water sector, or at least certain segments of it, um, in these really interesting and and exciting new technologies that we're seeing shaping the rest of the economy, kind of other industries uh, throughout the economy. So things like the Internet of Things, um, things like the digital twin, like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, to give you one example. Uh, uh, Bluefield's actually co-writing a a white paper with Arcadis that's focused on applications of artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics to empowering water and wastewater utilities to to address challenges related to affordability and resilience. And so we gave a roundtable on on that very subject at SWAN, and it was actually standing room only. I mean, we had to bring in more chairs um, from other rooms because it was so much, you know, it was so so much better attended than we were expecting. And so I think that, that was kind of a strong indication to us that there is this really strong interest in in these technologies and and the kind of potential that they hold for the water sector. Um, But on the other hand, and this is kind of my second takeaway, we also have to take, I guess, a more realistic look at where the water industry is today, particularly in the U.S., um, in terms of of where utilities are along their smart water journey. Um, You know, so, for example, the say the lion's share of the, you know, 50 or so thousand water systems and, you know, another 20 or so thousand wastewater systems in the U.S., uh, you know, they've got some basic basic technologies in place to capture core data feeds, maybe even to visualize those data feeds. You know, they've got a SCADA system. They've got a GIS system. Um, maybe they're, they're implementing some smart metering and capturing better customer information that way, but they still have um, some 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 way to go to to get themselves in a position where they can really take advantage of these these really interesting and, and exciting new technologies like a digital twin or like uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and then so, so, that- so hey, so so Eric, let me let me let me let me ask you a question real quick. So you mentioned the digital twin twice. I don't think that anyone has has talked about digital twin on the podcast before. And could you just? And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but could you oh, just no. kind of could you just kind of explain what the digital twin is? Sure, absolutely. So a digital twin is, is essentially a, a digital replica of of a real-world physical asset. So whether that's uh, an individual treatment plan, an individual pumping station, whether that's the full network, it's essentially a, a replica of that asset that lives in the digital world. And it, 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 they, they can be used for a lot of different types of, of uh, applications. So whether that's kind of for uh, engineering and design, um, you know, the digital twin can be built first to allow 
engineers to kind of experiment with with um, different ways of, of building the, the, the asset. Um, and, and so it kind of works on a design and engineering perspective. It can also be once the asset is actually built and, and operating in the real world, um, it can be used to um, kind of monitor in real time the, the performance and the health of that asset. So um, the idea is that the real, the real world asset will have sensors that are feeding back into the digital twin so that uh, a kind, of, a kind of on real time you can monitor how the asset is doing, whether it's performing at full capacity, whether there may be some, some repairs or you know, maintenance that need to be done um, to keep that asset in, in the best shape possible. And then they can also be used for kind of more future um, simulation and planning. So if uh, you wanted to, for example, assess how your network would perform, you know, in, in a flood maybe or, or a, a specific type of weather event or in, under different types of operating conditions, um, they can allow for that type of, of uh, simulation and, and scenario running. Okay, awesome. So I'm, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. So can, uh, can you kind of uh, give us the, the remainder of your SWAN takeaways here real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my, thir- my third point was um, – kind of, you know, getting back to that idea of, of where utilities are today versus where they, they you know, can be going with, with all of these new technologies. Um, one of the things that was, you know, I, I would say one of the strongest themes that popped out uh, at the at the conference for me was just the the importance of, of culture and of people. Um, you know, presenter after presenter, particularly those those from utilities who have actually been some of the most successful uh, in in moving further along that digital transformation or that smart water journey, you know, they all really stress the fact that technology is is almost never the problem. The the problem or the the challenge is is kind of getting uh, the the internal culture uh, in a place where it's it's really willing to embrace and accept and and make the most benefit of these new technologies. And so um, that can be, for example, something like just breaking down the the operating silos between different departments of the utility um whether that's you know going getting everybody on the same board with a new technology with a new uh, platform um or whether that's uh you know something as as simple as just making sure that everybody's using the same name for the same asset you know for for kind of making sure that data is transferable across departments um it can also be really just culturing, uh, uh, fostering a culture, a spirit of, of innovation, a willingness to embrace new ideas, new ways of doing things, um, which can understandably be difficult in, in, in an industry that's really charged with safeguarding public health and public safety and, and environmental resources. Um, there's often kind of a, a resistance to new ways of doing things that may be untested. Um, and so what we're doing at Bluefield, what we're really interested in, in understanding is what drives utilities to be more innovative, to, to foster that culture uh, or an, uh, kind of an innovation ecosystem, um, and where is that activity taking place, you know, on a state-by-state basis, for example, which states have seen the most innovation um, and which states have built the strongest uh, ecosystems for digital water innovation. Awesome. Well, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. You, were, you did a fantastic job sharing your thoughts on, uh, the, on the SWAN conference and telling us a little about the digital twin and things like that. So really appreciate it. Take care, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, Dave. My pleasure. You bet. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Eric. Well, the Bluefield team does a great job with that Bluefield on tap segment, and I very much appreciate it. And Eric Bindler, you're no, no exception to that rule. Uh, did a great job filling us in on your takeaways from the Swan Conference. And I think uh, Bluefield is, and Eric are going to be pushing out uh, some information on the Swan Conference and some of their takeaways. You know, he, he was kind of talking about all those uh, uh, reports and things of that nature. I think all that is going to be available. Check out Bluefield's website. Uh, and their LinkedIn page, and I think you'll be able to find that information if you want some more. 
Well, now it's coming up to the feature interview with Jonathan Grant from Imagine. Terrific guest. Uh, he was he was absolutely fantastic, and you are really going to enjoy this one. And so let's uh, let's without further ado, let's get to the feature interview with Jonathan Grant. Here we go. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and away we go. Well, John, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So happy to have you on. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, you bet. Hey, uh, for those, uh, well, let's let's back up a little sec. Let's let's start off by finding out a little about your background and how you got interested in water. Uh, sure thing. So, uh, my background in, in terms of why I got interested in water is out of undergrad. Um, you know, I was working in data and analytics. Really loved it, um, but I wanted to do something that had more impact in the world. Um, so I went back to grad school, uh, looking at something environmental. Carbon markets was where I first started looking. Um, but the bottom was falling out of the carbon markets. It was 2009, and so really wanted to look at uh, something that was uh, going to be an environmental issue where I could have a real impact, given climate change, growing population, and, and water was really there. And so ended up doing two masters in water um, and then uh, worked at a water technology accelerator um, for five years. And then uh, one of the coolest companies that uh, I had seen globally happened to be in our backyard. Um, and so... The Imagine guys talked me into uh, joining a couple years ago. All right, so you're with Imagine. Where, where's Imagine out of? Uh, so we're out of Kitchener, uh, Ontario. So Kitchener is about an hour uh, west of Toronto. Cool. And and what is what, what about Imagine kind of lured you? You mentioned technology. What what about what does Imagine do? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. So uh, essentially, Imagine provides an AI platform to help optimize water and wastewater processes uh, while taking into account you know, various site goals uh, and operational conditions um, in, in order to really reduce chemicals, energy, uh, depending on the process, increase energy if it's a biogas process, um, and really there to help operators make better decisions uh, through learning how the system works, uh, predicting what will happen, and then optimizing based on those predictions. Okay, so so that sounds like the the AI basics. Are there are there other or or am I misinterpreting that? Are there other AI basics that we need to be kind of aware of when we're when we're stepping into the water sector? Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great question. So yeah, it, it, that is basically the AI basics, and uh, uh, the way we sort of look at it is AI uh, is really just another way of looking at intelligence. So you know, collecting data from the environment. So looking at meters, analyzers, sensors. Uh, then converting that data into information, um, so understanding and analytics around that, uh, and then creating knowledge uh, with that information. So that's that's really where machine learning comes into uh, that that knowledge creation, uh, and then uh, taking it one step further uh, is that optimization, which is where we're able to make decisions based on that knowledge. Sure, sure. Now, I, I guess my, my, when I asked, asked my question, I was kind of like, "Hey, do I have it right?" You know. So what what are some of the common mis Conceptions surrounding AI and how do you deal with those? We get every misconception from: um, Is AI going to, you know, take over the world? Um, <laughs> or take my job um, as an operator? And so, uh, really, you know, the, 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 to answer both of those, uh, essentially, AI is just advanced modeling that works within operational constraints. So it's never going to go outside of the bounds of the model uh, constraints. Uh, it's just going to make the best decisions because it's able to take in so many different parameters that you know, a human really can't. Um, and we see it as an essential tool for operators. Um, so operators that have used it, um, it saved them time in tasks that they really didn't like. Uh, and so they're able 
uh, to then actually focus on things that are more uh, more value add or things that humans are better at versus machines. Yeah. So so okay, a couple couple things in there. Uh, Jeff, first off, I'd love to hear some examples. Uh, and then the, the second part of my question, just so I don't forget it, is uh, what are, you know, do you have some I- ideas as to what humans are better at as of current date than machines are? So so I'd like to think a lot of things in terms of what humans are better at. Uh, and so essentially uh, I'll, I'll talk you through one of our, our case studies that we, we did with uh, United Utilities in the U.K. Um, and so what our objective there was in a distribution network. Um and our objectives there were to reduce energy use um, and also save staff time. Uh, so within that, we were able to see 22% cost savings um, in terms of just that reduction in energy through um, using the optimal subset of pumps at any given time, uh, given the demand of the population over the next 24 hours. Um, and we factored in things like weather, energy prices, um, you know, a number of different disparate databases. Um, and then we were also able to um, save about 6,000 hours of staff time over a year. And so one of the comments that was, that was made to us by the, uh, uh, the person overseeing the project was, you know, 6,000 hours, that's three people's uh, worth of work. They didn't, they didn't let those people go. They put them into higher value jobs. So, you know, understanding what's actually going on in the network, um, you know, doing tasks to maintain the system more effectively. Um, and it was really about shifted that shift to higher value work. So I'll bring in some information from I'm also on the WEF Utility Management Committee. And one of the things we learned there was that the average uh, municipal utility worker has about four hours of free time per month. So I don't think there's any utility that's ever said, I've got so much free time. <laughs> you know, let's just sit around. Yeah. So uh, this this really took the burden off of how stressed they were and allowed them to um, allowed them to actually focus on, on things that were core to their job. Um, we also found out some really cool things in terms of understanding how pumps work uh, uh, from a, a, a degradation. So we're, we were able to build an asset performance monitoring, um, and we also built an event detection so that uh, they were able to uh, f- uh, find and fix issues before they really became huge problems. Yeah, I, I I think that is one of the big themes that I've I've seen in the water industry is that you know more and more people are talking about what you're just mentioning, and that is making the pivot in the utility sector from the the reactive side to the proactive side. And I'll credit Matt Klein, who is a, a former. Former someone I used to work with and who's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times who, you know, 10 years ago was first talking about, uh, I heard him talking about that the first time. Um, in, in terms of bringing this innovation to the marketplace, what does Imagine kind of look at in terms of, of you know, uh, what brings about, what are the components of innovation? How do you, how do you get that, that moving down the track? Maybe I'll take a step back and answering that and talk a little bit about our, our team. Um, and so our, our, our one of our co-founders, Tauhid, used to work at uh, Niagara Region, which is uh, the regional utility around um, Niagara Falls. Um, and so he was looking at the data, and, and he basically realized that if we if we collect or if we were collecting all this data, and we have been for the past ten to fifteen years, um, so that's sort of been the the first uh, step on the path to digitizing the water sector. Um, and he said, you know, there's much more we can do with this if we start using advanced modeling techniques. And 
Um, it was in terms of taking that to market. And so he, then he found the right complementary team of, you know, our other co-founder who was, uh, had done a lot of software visualization tools and uh, for, for the agricultural sector, and then brought together a team of multidisciplinary uh, folks that could uh, bring to bear, you know, a holistic approach to this problem. Um, and and from that, it was uh, now we had to then we had to start talking about our story and our, our AI uh, technology. Um, and so having that utility background uh, brought together with a bunch of different engineering disciplines um, and water sector knowledge uh, enabled us to really start bringing that message to the utilities that we were speaking with. Sure, sure. Uh, so, so let's go on and talk about AI in the water sector in terms of. Uh, I think you had you had had given some uh, uh, examples about you know kind of maximizing or optimizing uh, assets and productivity. Can you can you talk to that point a little more in terms of? How how is how is that achieved? I mean, what what information do you need, is the input that you go into getting getting us to the point where the utility is gonna gonna be in a position to maximize its its productivity and its workforce and its assets and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. And without delving too deep into the weeds, um, for something like asset performance monitoring, uh, it's looking at the available sensors, uh, monitors, and uh, data around that. Um, pretty much any utility that we've worked with. Um, has had all of the required uh, data streams. Uh, and then our, our team goes through and um, works with those to identify, you know, how is that asset uh, performing over time? Um, and that integrates into not only, you know, when does it need to be maintained uh, or replaced, um, but also which which pumps should I, or blowers, or, um, you know, whichever asset we're, we're looking to control, which ones need to be on at any given time, you know, whether it's on-off or variable speed. Um, and then those other data streams also help us with event detection. So are there things that have happened in the past and there were signs of that happening beforehand and can we predict those happening in the future? Um, or if they do happen, uh, spur of the moment, what did we do to solve that in the past? So we enable... Uh, clients to see that those issues before they become problems, and then it says, "So what? What are we going to do about it?" Um, and that that helps a lot with you know the aging workforce. Um, you know, I don't think there's a utility that we've walked into where we where they haven't had to call somebody up who retired, you know, two six months <laughs> two to six months ago, um, you know, at three in the morning to say, "Hey, X happened. What did you do? And or can you come in and become a consultant for us?" Um, and so what we're doing is capturing that knowledge through the data and, and what had, had actually happened um, and able to um, project that into the future for uh, new uh, utility operators. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested in this question about, you know, uh, the, the silver wave or whatever you want to call it of retirements that are projected in the water industry. Um, what, what 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 role do you see AI in filling or backfilling that that role of uh, the, the roles that will be vacated by retiring workforce members? There's two things that um, that are at play there. There's one the, the retiring workforce. Um, they have so much knowledge that is very difficult to pass on because it's just sometimes you know sticking a thumb in the air, um, you know, or a smell or something like that, depending on what type of plant or, or process they're working with. 
Um, and so it's very hard for them to capture that. But usually those operating conditions have been captured in the data. Um, so we're actually able to, the, 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 the machine learning and, and AI, uh, Harvey is actually the name of the platform that Imagine uh, uses. Uh, Harvey is actually able to capture that information and understanding and look at what was done and even see which, when actions were made, whether they were good or bad. So we're able to capture those historical uh, good and bad decisions uh, and learn from those uh, when we're presented with those in the future. The other aspect of that is the young workforce that's coming into, um, you know, coming onto the scene, they're used to digital tools. You know, they expect, you know, alerts on their cell phones. They expect to be able uh, to find anything at their fingertips at any given time. Um, and so this also helps not only, ca not only capture that uh, generation that's retiring, but it also helps bring that into that newer generation. So we're not having huge issues at utilities. We're not, uh, we're able to capture that knowledge and um, use it moving forward. Yeah, and, and that's, that, al that also sounds like it's AI and human intelligence working together um, uh, to, to bring about the best or optimize the, the system. If, if you take a step back and we're talking to someone uh, in the water sector, uh, you know, what would, what would be the key components of information that you would want that water professional to know about artificial intelligence? The artificial intelligence is building on that human intelligence and those good decisions. So, uh, um, you know, on that point, uh, you know, a question that I get asked a lot is, what happens if our operator makes a better decision than what you recommended? Um, and that's great because we're, you know, we've only captured X amount of data. So we don't, we maybe don't know about a great decision that was made 20 years ago when, you know, X happened. And so if they make a great decision, it's captured in the data and it, and the system would learn that and recommend that moving forward. So it's constantly learning. It's constantly uh, growing with the, with uh, the way that the system changes or process dynamics change. Am I right in, in saying that, you know, the longer you use it, the better the decisions are going to be. So you, the, the best time to implement is now so that you start building that database of, of experience. Exactly. And so it's, it's, it's a self-learning and, you know, it, it's our goal with that is for, you know, the future of AI in the sector to be as ubiquitous as a calculator or a computer or the internet. You know, it's, it's uh, our goal is really, for it to be a business as usual thing because it's learning, it's getting better and uh, humans are trusting in it more. Um, yeah. So, that yeah. Uh, so, so in terms of the, the, the data points you're, you're, you're collecting, I mean, uh, are we putting sensors throughout the, the network and throughout the, the treatment plant and, you know, what, what, I guess what forms the basis for the data set, and if you and I'm not asking you to give away any secret sauce or anything like that, so you can talk in generalities. No, and then that's a great question. It's, it's, it's a common question we get asked. So, um, you know, ultimately most plants uh, or or networks have the minimum sensor requirements that we need, um, and our, our goal is to really provide a software solution without the need for hardware. However. Uh, if you want to increase your ability to understand and increase the model's ability to understand certain dynamics, um, there are sensors, uh, monitors, or, or uh, loggers that we can recommend. Uh, and we have partners that we can get those through so that we can say, you know, at this point, if you put this, um, here's the ROI on that. So we're able to actually take the, um, 
you know, take that and, and take our understanding and build that hardware aspect in. Um, but for the most part, we really haven't had to add much hardware in, in any of our deployments. Yeah, so I think that you mentioned ROI, and that's a really interesting concept to me. I know I had Cindy Wallace Lejean recently, and uh, she gave some examples of some some systems that have implemented digital water solutions and have experienced a um, uh, you know immediate. It sounded like pretty immediate savings. What, what are you guys seeing in terms of that ROI uh, and and the savings to utilities of of implementation? Great question. So the uh, so the, the ROI that we're seeing. Uh, is generally 20 to 30 percent uh, on uh, Totex, so uh, usually 20 to 25 percent of that is on the OPEX savings. And as we get more uh, intelligent over time, uh, you know we're seeing savings in terms of maintenance schedules, staff savings. Um, as we gain more long-term data, we'll start seeing, you know, in terms of those assets that you know, last for five, 10, 15 years, um, how much savings we're able to get by one having them run more efficiently. Uh, over their life cycle, and two, can we extend that life for uh, you know x amount of years or x amount of time? Okay, and so so just so I'm clear, you you said twenty to twenty five percent ROI on the TOTEC, so that's total total expenditures, and I that that sounds to me like both expenses and capital. Uh, so, so far, the uh, it's twenty to twenty five on the uh, the opex, and then the TOTEC we add on another five percent based on uh, savings of uh, you know staff time and, and some of the uh, CapEx savings that we're seeing. So okay, we okay. See more CapEx over time? Yeah, because so, I, I would imagine that's going to compound over time as, as the, the uh, system learns, as the AI system learns the, the water delivery or conveyance system or whatever the, uh, uh, the type of utility it is. Now, does this work for both water and wastewater? I mean, dumb, I, th- I know that sounds like a dumb question, but... No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. So it works for uh, water, wastewater, uh, treatment, uh, distribution, conveyance. Um, and we've also done a number of different industrial uh, processes. So uh, really, if, if there's a process diagram, um, we can turn that into um, a digital understanding through machine learning and then make optimal recommendations based on that. Yeah. So, so what are the key? So, if if what are you finding that water utilities and, and all these? What are you finding that drinking water utilities are primarily using AI for? And what do you find that wastewater or sewer utilities are primarily using AI for? For drinking water utilities, we found most of them are uh, usually looking at the networks first, um, just because it's it's a safer way to try it because it's on off in terms of pumps um, and. Once they gain confidence, then we, we move more into the plant. Uh, for wastewater utilities, uh, we've been doing a lot of work with uh, secondary uh, treatment. Um, that's where the – I think I saw a statistic that in, in Ontario, uh, wastewater treatment plants uh, uh, use 55 or 56 percent of their energy on just um, secondary treatment. Um, so we've really gone after a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, but, again, we're – that's the beauty of of RAI, and that's when you can actually find whether an interesting digital solution is a true AI, is, you know, can it work across different asset classes? Um, And so that's something that, you know, our our tech team and and, and we're very proud of is that we can actually apply the same uh, technology across asset classes um, and see, you know, again, compounding uh, savings because if you're predicting demand better, operating that more effectively, then at the treatment plant, you're then um, working with those processes more effectively as well. 
Okay, that, that's great. Now, what about stormwater? Um, have you seen stormwater utilities start implementing this type of, of solution? It's, it's, it's starting to. Um, it, it, where it's, I would say that drinking water networks and wastewater treatment, uh, along with drinking water treatment, are probably more at the forefront of it. Um, and I'd say that's probably true just in general of stormwater technology. Um, but we are starting to see a lot of interest in it um, and uh, uh, some some groups starting to reach out to us. Okay. Um, so uh, one other thing that uh, when we were talking about CapEx earlier and, and all that, a lot of times we're thinking gray infrastructure in terms of, you know, putting in a new pipe or anything like that. Are, are, does AI have the ability to kind of build in what I'll just call green infrastructure or sustainable infrastructure, things of that nature uh, to, to build into the solution? I mean, what, does it just identify the need and it's up to someone else to figure out how to fit that need? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great question. So that, that's something that we can support utilities through um, and enable them to say, you know, if X happened, what would Y outcome be? Um, mm-hmm. So it is something that we can, that, that can be worked on. Okay. So you, you essentially build a model. And so if, if you, if you solve the solution with a, a piece of gray infrastructure, you know, it'll, this will be gray infrastructure option one, gray infrastructure option two, green infrastructure option one, that kind of thing. And, and you just model the results and it'll figure, you can figure out what the best solution is for your system. Exactly. And, and maybe I'll also build on that by, by adding something that we haven't really talked about is uh, our, our uh, software sensors. So, because of machine learning uh, and, and the amount of data that we have, we're actually able to create virtual sensors at various points within um, a process. Um, and that allows us to uh, identify what would be happening, um, where maybe a manual sample usually is taking place, but understanding, or, or a long-term lab sample. Um, so we're able to actually capture that over time um, and allow ourselves to uh, use that offline data to make real-time operating decisions. Okay. Uh, what, so so you've given us a great snapshot of where we are right now with, with, with AI. What have, what have you seen as the key trends over the last uh, last couple of years? I think it, it again starts with um, up until about two years ago, everything was about let's capture all the data and get it into the same place. Um, and then – it started, you know, groups were starting to look at uh, data analytics and big data to uh, see what was happening historically. Um, what's happened over the last two years is they're now saying, so what? Um, and that's where, that's where we think AI comes into play is, well, so what do I do with all this data? Well, you're able to take that, model it, predict into the future, and then optimize based on those predictions. Um, and so it's, it's really that, that trend of, you know, now utilities have stopped being so scared about sharing their data and letting people who um, have expertise in that area um, complement what's already being done at the utility level. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, so with with this greater um, willingness to share data, uh, what, what do you see kind of for adoption rates as we as we you know move into the future? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it's exponential. Um, and I think it's because it's it's a lot easier to adopt a software solution than it is necessarily a hardware solution. Um, so it's for a utility to implement us, um, you know, we could do it in as short as five weeks. We usually do it over a period of 12 weeks um, just to work with them, uh, make sure that 
all, all the customizations and, and uh, operating conditions and um, uh, are understood and, and able to be reflected back. Um, and so it's really quick to adopt. And so it's not a five, six year, you know, implementation process. Uh, so I do really see it as, as happening. And it is, you know, digital water is the buzzword all, all of the, uh, at all the conferences and things like that. Um, but we're actually starting to see people really, um, you know, I guess put their money where their mouth is from a utility perspective um, in adopting different digital and, and AI solutions. Yeah, and so I, 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 I'm very curious about the future. So, uh, you know, from the perspective, you, you indicated that most water utilities will, drinking water utilities will start in the network. Um, you know, wh where, do you, where do you see the biggest value in the future for the adoption of AI? I mean, if, if right now the networks are providing most of the value before moving in inside the fence, so to speak, uh, where's the biggest value proposition for for AI? And I think that's that's a good question, and it, it's it's really in uh, connecting all of the different site goals from networks, from treatment, um, and then taking that conveyance system of wastewater, uh, putting it through the wastewater treatment, and then optimizing the energy. So it's, if we're going for um, you know a carbon neutral uh, water system. Um, it's taking it all together um, and being able to identify the site goals and then looking at the different trade-offs um, based on various actions throughout the entire system versus uh, looking at each system, um, you know, in its own silo. Sure, sure. So, uh, John, I've, I've, you know, I always, whenever I have, you know, a, a guest on, and we've done a lot with digital water recently, but... But I always learn something, and I, th I, th I think talking with you has been absolutely fantastic because I've learned so much. Um, what are what are the leave behind messages? Sure thing, and I, and I guess I would I would point to three things. You know, if you're interesting, if you're interested in progressing your utility beyond digitization, come speak to us uh, to learn about AI. Um, if you're interested in implementing AI but don't know where to start, come speak to us. Um, and we're always open to partnerships that support our mission. So. Uh, for those partners out there, uh, contact us to, uh, to discuss how we can partner to leverage AI for social impact uh, around the world. Okay, terrific. So uh, for those who are uh, who want to find out more information about you and about Imagine, where can they go to get that information? So our Twitter is at Imagine Tech. Um, LinkedIn, uh, they can search for us at Imagine. Our website is imagine.ca. Um, there's a reoccurring theme there. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine just, just so everyone knows it's spelled E M A G I N, right? Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Um, and then obviously we, we, uh, you know, despite the fact that we are an AI company, we do also like human interaction. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so come see us in person. Um, you know, I know we'll be at ACE and Weft Tech. Um, we're at a number of conferences. I mean, we're, we're usually at, Pretty much any major conference you can think of, uh, we try and attend. Um, so come visit us. We'll have a booth. Look us up. Uh, we're always happy to uh, uh, to talk and, and learn about uh, where people are with their uh, digitization and, and, and AI uh, thinking from a utility perspective. Awesome. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come speak with me. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Happy All right. to be here. All right. Thanks, John.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jonathan Grant from Imagine. He was great. He was terrific. Uh, a lot of great examples, uh, the ROI stuff, uh, the data streams being already uh, uh, in control of the, the utilities. I think that was uh, that was just a lot of fantastic information that Jonathan uh, provided, and I very much appreciate him coming on and, and sharing that information. Well, I, I really want to know what you thought about the podcast. You can leave your comments on the show notes for this session, and you can find those at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one four nine. Leave a comment again on those show notes, or you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at my handle, which is at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And please do me a favor, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever other podcast directory you use. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, it's just a great way for other folks to find out about the podcast and keep us up in the rankings. You can also sign up for the Water, Water Values newsletter uh, at thewatervalues.com. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.